expanding the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Oh, you have no idea what you've stumbled upon, except for the fact that it is episode 58 of Down and Nerdy. No jokes at the beginning of the show, because it's serious business. Boy, Nick, do we have something huge for this episode this week. We really do. We've been saying for a little while that we've had some big things going on, and this is kind of part A, we'll say, to the big things that are going on uh, with us here at Down and Nerdy, as we have Peter Shinkoda joining us later on the show, who is, of course, known as Nobu from Netflix's Daredevil, and just what a whirlwind of excitement it pretty much has been for us since we've, we've gotten the interview, and how crazy his life must really be since the show pretty much aired a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and we can't thank him enough again for coming on the show, and you won't believe some of the stuff that gets talked about in this interview. I, I think I can dare say... That we have a down and nerdy exclusive coming up at this interview because Peter Shinkoda, who was very, let's say, liberal with his, uh, with his very forthcoming. There you go, very forthcoming <laughs> yes. with the uh, the things that's been going on in his career. Drops a uh, little bit of a bombshell right at the beginning at the beginning of the interview. Maybe Daredevil almost didn't happen for him. You, wait till you hear what he has to say. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the whole interview is it's just fantastic. We had a fun time. Really, really awesome, awesome guy. And, you know, so we had some later on in the show. Then we got to talk about last week. Last week, we had some good responses from our show last week. Uh, again, it's just the phenomenal support by you, the fans, over this past couple of weeks has just been phenomenal. Yeah, and I mean, it seems like, you know, especially uh, when I go to Bob at Bob's at Fantasy Escape Commerce and Cards in Virginia Beach, I was talking to somebody in the parking lot there. And, you know, even though there's certain stuff that we're not into, we're new, newly nerdy into certain things, too. So I was talking to him a little bit about Yu-Gi-Oh! and Magic the Gathering, which I don't really know a whole lot about. But that just spun into a conversation about video games. It's just, it's the culture that we're in. The guide to newly nerdy that we did on last week's show is not just for new nerds. It's for all of us, really, to just just become a culture where we're just very accepting of new people coming in and even people that might not know something about everything. You and I know a lot about a lot of things in this culture, but there's still things that we don't even know about. And I, for one, am glad that we have people that are willing to talk with us and not treat us like idiots when we don't, when we even don't know something. You know, I was into Yu-Gi-Oh and magic. You never asked me about any of this shit. I knew you were into Yu-Gi-Oh! I didn't know you were into Magic. I told I, you I was into Magic a while ago. Matter of fact, I told, I told the guy that you were big into Pokemon back in the day, and that if you wanted to talk, if you wanted to talk Pokemon, that you'd be the guy to talk to. Well, I'm originally... So, I'm the, I'm kiss one of my these. ass, I had that covered. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm one of those people who are the 150 guys. Like, I'm the only person that's like, the only people that exist are the 150 first Pokemon, and you don't know the shit I get on Twitter for saying that. I'm like... 150, like, no, there's like 7,000. I'm like, fuck you. I only need the 150 that matters. You were playing Magic when nobody knew about Magic, though. That's yeah. your problem. You were playing it when nobody really knew what the hell was going on <laughs> because Pokemon was big and nobody cared about Magic at the time. Well, at the time, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! got big, was big, too. Like, Magic was big. I played Magic, I mean, it was in high school, so we're talking mid-2000s, probably like 2004, 2005. And I don't know why I said proudly because I graduated in 2006. But anyways... Uh, yeah, I got into Magic first, and then 
Pokemon, it was more collecting. I really played the actual card game. It was just more collecting the cards. Magic was when I first got into like playing the actual card game. I actually had a friend of mine build me a deck. It was a fire and water deck. And then I uh, had a friend build me a Yu-Gi-Oh deck and when I was in 10th grade. And I ruled everybody. And it was fucking phenomenal. To be fair, this guy more volunteered information for me rather than me asking him. But it was good to know because I've never really, you know, I've never really been into that before. So it was nice to, you know, get a little bit of insight into that. But that's what we like to do. And that's what we're going to be doing at Free Comic Book Day at Bob's of Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards on May the 2nd. We'll be there at noon for our live show. Yeah, so May 2nd, we're going to be at Bob's or Fanscape Comics and Cards. And one thing a lot of people have told us through email, through message, through even just showing up at our live shows is how interactive we are. That's what we pride ourselves on, just having people come on out. You want to talk about, you know, you want to talk about the Star Wars trailer? Okay, why do I have this voice? Because <sighs> Mickey Mouse just has a hard-on for Star Wars. And I'm just like, I, I can't take anymore. <laughs> just wait till nerd news. It's oh, coming. God. It's coming. I just can't. I, I, just, I just can't. You know, I just want to sleep. You know, stop poking me with the lightsaber. I just want to go to sleep. <laughs> but you must. No. No. You must. No. I don't. I don't. <sighs> it's a different. The Rogue Squadron demands it. All right. Just one last time and then that's it. <laughs> uh, see, I used Jedi mind tricks on you there. Sorry. Yeah. Had to be done. Mm. I hate you. I know. Okay. Well, now that we've got that out of the way, we've got, of course, two new comics that we're going to be reading coming up next. It's what we're reading on Down and Nerdy. Well, it's that time, nerds. We've got those long boxes. Because what we're reading is, we, of course, presented by the fine folks over at Fancy Escape Comics and Cards. Go see Bob. Check out all of his awesome comics and toys and shirts and art and all the amazing stuff he has. Also, again, we're going to be at his comic book shop next weekend for a free comic book day podcast. And James, I'm going to have you go first. What did you read this week, man? Well, I decided after seeing a little bit of a headline in uh, one of the news stories that I was going to read G.I. Joe number 231, which is billed The Death of Snake Eyes. Now, this is a comic book company that just killed off Donatello in the Ninja Turtles comics, so I'm thinking, okay... Now we're going to kill another beloved character, so <laughs> let's see how this works out. Of course, if you don't know, the issues are written by Larry Hama, artist is S.L. Gallant, and inks by Brian Shearer, colors by Jay Brown. Now, basically what's going on here for anybody who's not reading G.I. Joe is there is an operation in, and I'm totally not making this up, Ollie Stan. Okay. It does not have anything to do with Oliver Queen or the Green Arrow in any way, but that just happens to be the place that it's called. Basically, the Outback brigade of gi joe is fighting out with the red shadows and it didn't look good for them until a giant robot that was supposed to be the enemy robot came in and basically destroyed the entire enemy crew on accident apparently so that happened in the last issue which i did not read and the group that they're fighting against is called the red shadows but the main villain in this is actually serpentor if you remember him from the uh, gi joe animated series and of course the figures and basically he's taking control of this robot at uh, this base in utah which I thought was an interesting choice, and not to knock any of our fans in Utah. But when one of the lines in the comic, and I'm paraphrasing here, says, We have to get the weapon back to Utah. That just doesn't sound sexy to me. No, it's kind of like when I'm going to go see Book of Mormon, and the one of the songs is about this girl singing about this paradise at Salt Lake City. Yeah, and it's like it's like having a battle charge that says to Vermont or something. It <laughs> Let's go to Delaware. It just didn't seem like it was uh, it was this big epic thing. But anyway, there is kind of a big battle going on, and 
Scarlet's there, and Stalker's there, and Snake Eyes, of course, is there with Roadblock, and they're trying to get control of this robot back from Serpentor. There's a lot of action. Serpentor is kind of like sort of speaking in this old-worldly kind of tongue, I guess you could say. It's right. almost like he's trying to sound smart, but he's not really smart, you know what I mean? When somebody really tries to sound like they're otherworldly and they're not. So that's what it kind of seemed like to me. So they're trying to keep this robot from coming back from Alistan to Utah because they basically fear that if it gets back and Serpentor gets back here, he's going to wipe everybody out and he's just going to be able to leave this whole battle in uh, Utah unscathed. Well, what happens is, is that Throwdown, one of the G.I. Joes from the Outback Brigade, gets inside this robot and tries to dismantle it from the inside, but it gets shot into space. He's wearing a protective suit, but they don't think that he's going to survive the flight. Now, back in the battle in Utah, basically what happens is you think Snake Eyes dies in, earlier in the issue, but he doesn't. He kind of, you know, takes the sword and keeps himself from falling down the wall, classic Snake Eyes. Mm-hmm. So basically, Serpentor is having his way with Roadblock and Scarlet, and he is not, you know, he, they are not getting to him at all. And Snake Eyes comes in from out of nowhere and kind of tries to tackle him, that doesn't work either. So Duke is there, and he thinks, and now keep in mind that this this guy has like telekinetic and telepathic powers, so Duke thinks it's going to be a smart idea to throw a grenade at him. What does Serpentor do? <laughs> he throws a grenade right back at him. Yeah. So basically what ends up happening is uh, Snake Eyes, and this is a spoiler for anybody that hasn't read the issue yet, this is how Snake Eyes is going to die. Okay. Snake Eyes grabs the grenade in mid-flight and runs towards Serpentor and tackles him over the ledge and the grenade explodes. It seems like I don't think Snake Eyes is dead because it's going to be like one of those things, kind of like going back to Arrow, which you've referenced earlier. You know, Albert Queen falls and he's dead and he comes back and stuff like that. It's like whenever somebody goes over a cliff and there's like an explosion, odds are there's going to be some sort of cutscene where like his sword, you know stuck into the ice or the side of the, the, the wall or whatever, and the Serpentor blows up with the grenade kind of thing. So here's the deal, though. One of the big things that happened was Snake Eyes gets unmasked. Oh, he does. A few panels before that by Serpentor. We still never see his face. Oh. You see the back of his head, but you don't see his face. Now, the robot does end up getting back to Utah, but it's been disabled because Serpentor was killed. So once say, he was killed, that rendered the robot useless. So they're trying to figure out what's going on here. And basically Throwdown is cutting his way out of the robot. And because of the re-entry uh, from the Earth's atmosphere, he's all burnt up and he's barely alive. And what happens is right towards the end of the issue, Throwdown puts on Snake Eyes' mask. And my first thought was, dude, not cool. Like, I understand you want to cover up your face because it's burnt, but dude, the guy just died, and now somebody's already putting on his mask. It's uh, like, it's yeah. like, wow, okay. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a little bit, a little too soon there. Uh, what's the art looking like? Uh, the art's actually pretty good. Um, it's not great, but it's definitely good. Actually, the, the tighter shots that you get, the better the art is. Like, the art on Serpentor and a couple tight shots is really good. The writing, it's pretty good. I mean, it's what you'd expect 
from G.I. Joe. It's very true to like the cartoons and stuff. They're writing it very similarly. So you kind of get what you get. And this comic, as far as rating, I would I would say it's a pickup. I'm kind of interested to see where they go and if Snake Eyes is really dead or if somebody else is going to take up the mantle. So I definitely think this would be a pickup for me. Did that robot look anything like Mitt Romney? Because I mean, it was heading towards Utah, so it's kind of like... You no, know. it actually looked like, uh, like, the, um, like the Titan robot. Okay. From that Titan AE movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what it reminded me of, actually. Okay. So... It's my turn, and I decided to go back, James. And I mean way the fuck back. Like, way back. Let's go back to 1974. Let's do that. All right. So 1974, they had these comics that were part comic, part record. I have a few of those. And the one I have, I'm actually got for a buck, is Captain America and the Falcon from 1974. Now, this was produced as both a book and a record set, by Power Records, uh, Herb Davidson and Charlotte Sanders did the producing on it. And it was sold for $1.49 back in the day. And a graded copy now sells for $62. Nice. And it's a 20-page book. It's written by Tony Isabella. And it's a small 45 RPM record, which acts as a learning aid as well. So as far as I thought, I was like, okay, it's like a book on tape kind of thing. But more, it's like a learning aid in a sense. At least that's how the back of the comic describes it as. Because, of course, I don't have a record player. Of course. And the art is by Sal Buscema. Now, the plot is that Cap is feeling out of sync. He's just feeling out of it because of his inability to fit in after being frozen after 20 years. And they're attacked by the Phoenix. Now, the Phoenix is pretty much a man who looks like Electro if he had a death ray. So picture kind of like that mask style in a sense, that horrible bolt mask. But, right. you know, and he has like a yellow cape and it's like, oh, Jesus Christ. Very 70s look to him. So he captures Cap, and spoiler, uh, is he's about to drop him into a container of Adhesive X, which was created by Baron Zemo. Turns out, Phoenix is Baron Zemo's son. Wow. And he uses the moniker Phoenix because his father's work rises from the ashes because Cap killed Zemo in a rock slide back in the day. So Zemo pulls Indigo Montoya. And Prince says, you've killed my father, prepare to die, which is a great, great line, Love pretty much. Line. And Falcon comes out of nowhere and saves Cap, because earlier in the comic, now mind you, this is 20 pages, Cap pretty much says, okay, he's going after me, I need to be by myself, and, Cap, and Falcon says, have no fear, Cap, I'm here to help you, and he's like, you know, I don't want to work at this alone, and he pretty much just blames him for something just totally out of the ordinary. Now, the pros for this, the art for the time it was done... It holds up. It's very, very clean. It's very, very detailed. You can make out what things are perfectly. Like, for example, there's a big explosion and the wall blows up. There's individual bricks. They're very, very nice. And it's actually a lot better than the current Daredevil comic book with the way that the art was earlier in that run. And here's the thing. It's not really a uh, a con. It's just that it was written in 1974. So the writing and the jokes are going to be very, very dated. But what did you expect? You know, it's very, very right. Like Cap calls Falcon old chap and everything else. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like, oh, well done, old bean. Exactly. Exactly (laughs) how it's written, too. And but like I said, the writing, I mean, you know, it shows it was smart because they did what Cap. They wrote Cap smartly. Uh, And as in the end, when his son, Baron Zemo's son is defeated, Cap says, you want to know one of the reasons why I'm 
sad too, Bucky, is that the fact that my being unfrozen brings back and re earths some people's hatred of 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like that whole Bruce Banner and the Avengers, you want to know why I'm always angry or how I'm able to control it? Well, I'm always angry. That's the key. It's like, you want to know why I'm sad? It's because my, you know, being back, you know, it brings back all this hatred of, from the Nazis and everybody else wanting to get revenge on America and stuff. So basically this, t- this issue should have been titled Captain America and the Bowl of Feelings. Pretty much. Okay. Pretty much in the, the frozen ice bowl of feelings. And, I mean, for free, it's a buy. I mean, of course, you want to go out and spend $62 on the graded version, but it's a really good buy. And what's great was the person that my mom bought this from, again, she got it from a flea market in New York. I mean, there's a little bit of, of wear on the top. But other than that, the pages aren't yellow. It's very pristine. Other than that, the record is intact, and it's not marked. So it's really, really pristine condition. It's in a nice bag I have it in. Protected. I might be able to get the record player for a buck, too. I know. Jesus. <laughs> no, but then I mean, you're going to have to go all uh, all hipster and be like, spend thousands of dollars on certain speakers to fill into oh, a room to get the full ambience. I still don't understand that. But that's another story. But that's going to do it for what we're reading this week. And, uh, again, it's a, this is a buy for me. So, go, I think you can get online. The comic itself, like, a, you know, four or five bucks, a couple bucks, you know, something like that. Uh, but it's a buy for me. But that's going to do it for what we're reading. Come up next. It's This Week in Geek Tame, and boy, do we have kind of a different take on the Batman vs. Superman trailer. I thought it was meh. James thought it was amazing, in a sense. And, uh, well, it's your typical DC Marvel back and forth. Let's put it that way. Stay tuned. Geek Tame will come up next. I'm down nerdy. Well, we had epicness last week, and we have it once again. It's This Week in Geek Tame, and one, Nick, that I've been waiting for for a long time. We finally got the first trailer for Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice. Now you say you're excited about this. I was more like, meh. I was excited that it was here. Right. That well, was yeah, my I, excitement, that, we, that it was actually happening. I was excited because we've had like two teasers. And it's like really you showed like two 20-second teasers, just like the logo. It's like, come on, give us an actual trailer. And before we dive into the actual trailer, I'll say this. The one thing that, there's two things that majorly hurt this. Maybe three. Definitely three. Number one is, of course, this came out the day of the Star Wars trailer. Not just the day of, but after the Star yeah, Wars trailer. and it got leaked, too, which was not the original plan, but this these things happen in this crazy, crazy digital world we live in. Number two is that the movie doesn't come out until another year from now, pretty much. Right. So you're giving us a trailer for a movie that doesn't come out in a year because it's just, I don't understand it. Number three... You can tie it tie the Jurassic World trailer in there because it kind of did drop a little bit too after it, however. I think it was, that was even more epic. But it's just a whole thing that DC wanted to do with IMAX, which was pay this X amount of money to see this ex- little bit of extended trailer and we'll release it online this day after. That couldn't have blown up more in their face. Well, I mean, it did kind of work out for them because what they did end up doing was they gave people passes to see the movie a week early that Uh did actually go to the IMAX reading. I think they've got those sweet new movie posters as well, which are pretty cool uh, if you've seen the Superman and the Batman posters for Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice. But yeah, the timing sucked, and the fact that it got leaked on Friday was awful for what they wanted to do. It was almost like when they tried to do that big release to bump up Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when I believe it was the Age of Ultron trailer. That leaked early and screwed 
everything up. So, I mean, this is the second time this has happened, but this time it's happening in DC. But, I mean, I understand you get a trailer out out now. I would have waited a little bit longer, maybe. But at least we got a peek at a couple of things that we didn't really good, get good peeks at before. Yeah, we got a little bit of a look at the Batwing. We got some the notice of Ben Affleck's voice as Batman, although it's modulated, though. Which it's supposed to be in the mechanized suit, for those who don't know the canon there. Yep, and then it's just, you know, let's start from the beginning. You hear this voiceover, the camera pretty much pans towards the Superman statue, which has false god on it, and you hear people talking about, like, well, what if he's just trying to help? Then you have, of course, you hear Jesse Eisenberg saying, you know, was it demons, they come from the sky, they don't come from the ground. And you can tell, I think that line that maybe he's talking about is maybe him talking to Bruce Wayne, because, you know, again, it might be that thing of he's trying to, you know, Lex at first doesn't seem like a bad guy, and then like kind of Kingpin and Daredevil, which we talked about last week, you know, has that kind of thing of later on as the thing progresses, okay, he is this evil guy who needs to be stopped in a sense. But you see that, and it's like, okay, I didn't like Man of Steel. I thought there were certain things about it I didn't like. I liked the way they did Clark Kent's father. I didn't like the way that he portrayed him and stuff like that, um, and how they wrote him out. Uh, the whole thing with the city, of course, is a big thing of just the destruction and everything else like that. But then you look at what they're doing with Batman versus Superman, and James, you hit this on the head months ago when you said, well, what if it's where they did the ending of Man of Steel? The reason why they did that is because it set up Superman is a bad guy and Batman wants to stop him. Yeah, and I mean, people didn't realize that at the time, but I think it was always the plan to have a cinematic universe similar to Marvel from DC. Now, granted, it's taken them a little bit longer to get it off the ground, but they're in. this was part of the plan. I fully believe that this was part of the plan all along, was just to set Superman up as a, is he a good guy or is he not a good guy? Because let's face it, over the years, except for the Injustice run in the comics and in the video game, of course, he's been... Mr. Good Guy the entire time. So let's maybe put a little bit of doubt into that with this movie. Of course, he's 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 Superman, so he obviously is a good guy. But we're casting some doubt on that now from the citizens of Metropolis and worldwide with this movie. So you're going to see that struggle with, is he a good guy or is he not a good guy? And we saw some other stuff in this trailer as well, maybe an Easter egg or two that you might have spotted. One thing that I saw in that scene with Batman where he's in this room and it's kind of a wide shot of him in this room and you get a quick flash of light. There was a lot of question marks in that room. Did you notice that? Yeah, I kind of did. <laughs> so could we be teasing Riddler possibly? Because we've heard no news of any sort of Riddler casting or anything like that. So I'll be very interested to see where that ends up. I don't think it is. I think they just did it for fan service because think about it, not doing a Batman film for a while. And I don't think they would ever really introduce Riddler into the Justice League movie as a no, villain. No, he's not a big enough villain. For I know they want to do a Batman movie separate with Ben Affleck, but like I said, it's not going to be for a while. It could be maybe a, hey, just letting you know that he exists in this universe and we'll get to him eventually kind of thing. Yeah. Maybe it was something like that. But, you know, I'm going to admit something right now that, that per- people probably don't expect me to admit this was not the best trailer in the world no this was not a great trailer what this was was a set it was a full setup for what the theme of the movie is going to be and that is is superman a good guy or is he not and how much will lex Luthor be able to manipulate the population into thinking that superman's a bad guy 
Now you have two types of trailers. You have the trailers, as James, you just said, that kind of describe the setting and give people a better understanding. And then you have the trailers that come out after. Because remember, this is sort of a teaser trailer because it's only like about a minute 30. This isn't the full trailer. It's over two minutes long. So you have the full trailer, which is action, action, action. Here's what's going on in it. This, like you said, and I couldn't agree with you more, is the setting up. It's the setting up of, is Superman a bad guy? Is Batman, you know, going to find out maybe later on that Lex Luthor's kind of been manipulating him a little bit? And we hear Jeremy Irons' Alfred do some voiceover work, too. And then you get that full shot of Ben Affleck walking forward in the bat suit. Which and I'm was like, awesome. That was amazing. I, I'm sorry. I don't understand people's bitching about... The Batsuit, I really don't. I think it's probably one of the best ones that they've done. I totally agree. And for anybody who's bitching about the mechanized voice, again, that's not going to be his voice the entire time. That's his voice in that suit, not the entire time. We have not heard what he's going to sound like as Batman in just the Batsuit yet. Unless, of course, Bruce Wayne's a heavy, heavy smoker and he has to use one of those electric things he says push towards his throat to talk. Yeah, that would be unfortunate. That would be very unfortunate. You know, rich guy. You think you'd come up with some sort of uh, solution to that? Yeah, I mean, we don't know. But I think you know, when you look at this trailer, like I said, it wasn't something that made me go, "Oh my God, I gotta go see this." Again, it's a setup. But I think your point, your point's made there, though. We're a year out yeah. from this movie's release, and it's not a full trailer. Did we really expect this to be? A wow thing. I kind of, in a way, think they did what they needed to do. They didn't go for the wow factor. Instead, they went for the, okay, now we're going to tell you what this movie's going to be about trailer. They were setting the tone. And now with the second trailer, when the full trailer comes out, that's when we'll get a bit, little bit more action. I mean, we got like a small smidge of it, like Superman catching an oil tanker or something. And then, you know, this weirdo thing where he's looks like he's with this indigenous population and he turns around. So we got a little bit of interesting stuff. And like you said, the statue, but no real action. I think that that is coming next because let's face it. If they did action, 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 action for this trailer, what would people be bitching about? Well, we still don't know what the movie is really going to be about, so when are they going to tell us that? So you're damned if you do and damned if you don't, really. And I think another complaint people have had, too, which I don't see why they're complaining, is like, where's Wonder Woman? Why is Wonder Woman in this? It's like, why would you want her in this first teaser trailer? It's not about her. It's about no. setting up the theme and the overall tone and feel of this movie. And by the way, uh, quick little thing, I want to give a quick shout out to Honest Trailers. We did a, whole, a hilarious Honest Trailer on Batman vs. Superman on this teaser trailer we're talking about. Because, as James, you mentioned the other night, you're like, how could you really do a trailer for something that hasn't come out yet? But it was more of like Marvel vs. DC fans just as a voiceover is bitching and complaining, which is hilarious. It's like, come on, let's just enjoy the fact that we're getting this movie overall. Yeah, we've said that a million times and you know, it, it, it might not end up being a good movie. I mean, I'm, I've, I've, I'm fully aware that that could happen. Even me being the DC apologist that I am, I'm fully aware that this might not be a good movie. I don't know. None of us know. We haven't seen it yet, but what I also don't expect to see is I don't expect to see Aquaman in any of these trailers. I don't expect to see a whole lot of Wonder Woman in the trailers either, simply because I don't think any of them, with the exception of Wonder Woman, are going to be in the movie for more than a minute, two minutes at a time anyway. So I, mm -hmm. I think that expectations for need to be lowered a little bit. This is going to be focused on Batman and Superman. Maybe a little bit more Batman because they've already introduced Superman and Man of Steel. 
But of course, there's always plenty of Batman and Superman stuff you can get at Fancy Escape Comics and Cards of Virginia Beach. So there's that. You can always go check that out. But that's going to do it for this week in Geek Tamment. There's a ton of Star Wars, I mean, nerd news coming up next on Down and Nerdy. Well, it's that time, Jedis and Padawans, where we go around the internet because it's time for what, James? Star Wars news! Wait a second. Wait. Isn't wait, it usually nerd news? It, it is, but I mean, Star Wars, like I said in the first segment, man, Mickey's just taking that lightsaber and just pretty much poking it to everybody. Stop doing that, huh? <sighs> that was fucking scary. I'm not going to lie. See? I'm just saying. Just saying. I have talents. You do have talents. <laughs> but the reason that we're talking about Star Wars again is because we finally have some information on what the plot is going to be for the Star Wars spin-off movie Rogue One. And Nick, it is awesome. Yeah, and here's the thing. So during a panel at last weekend's big Star Wars celebration in Anaheim, California, it was revealed by Gareth Edwards, the producers there, that Rogue One is going to be set after Episode 3 and before Episode 4, and it's going to be in an era without Jedi. So Star Wars Rogue One is going to follow a rogue band of Resistance fighters who must unite to steal the Death Star plans, which, of course, we know never really happened. But here's the thing. I am so glad that it's not going to take place with Jedi. Yeah, no Jedi. We're not going to do the whole Boba Fett thing or Han Solo thing, which I'm not saying that wouldn't be cool, but this, to me, feels like an original idea. It's like the Ocean's Eleven of the Star Wars universe, except to the nth degree. And I think that this is one of those things that nobody really thought to do, except Mm -hmm. the people that are doing it. And once you heard their idea, you went, Wow! Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. The fact that they're making it a heist film is awesome. Like I said, it's not connected to you know Sith lords and everything else in the sense. I mean, they're trying to steal the Death Star plans, but we'll see how that goes. Like I said, it's a fresh take. Like I said, we know the outtake. We know they're not going to be able to probably steal the Darth the Death Star plans because right. the thing does get built. Right. However, it's if it. I look at a movie like 127 Hours. Now, people don't know what that movie's about. James Franco plays a, a real life guy. I can't think of his name. Goes on pretty much like this hike. Falls into a canyon, arm gets caught, cuts off his arm. It's kind of like a biopic of slash horror story of mine in a sense uh, for myself. But it, you know, it's kind of like there's the way that movie was written was you thought there was a chance or he was going to get out and he wouldn't have to cut off his arm. Spoiler, but he's a real guy, and you thought that it was going to get to that point by the way it was written in certain scenes. The way this could be a huge success, and I think this is really depending on if it's going to be successful or not. Other than the acting and the fact that, you know, Gareth Edwards, despite what I, we thought of Godzilla, you know, hey, he, you know, with the fact that he's doing a Star Wars film, it'll probably be differently taken and better because, you know, Disney and, and Marvel and whatever. But the fact is, it's going to be based on how believable it's going to be that they can pull this off. Like I said, if you're going to sit there in the theater and say, okay, we know what happens. They're not going to have, you know, it's going to get built. They're not going to be able to really steal it or whatever. Actually, my brain just turned on. Now, okay. remember, this is going to happen between Episode 3 and Episode 4. What's one of the first things that happens in Star Wars A New Hope? Princess Leia loads the plans for the Death Star onto R2-D2. Huh. So, so now we're saying, how does she get said plans to load onto R2-D2? Maybe we finally find out how that happens. That's actually very smart. I'm actually glad you brought that up. I totally, not going to say I forgot about it, but it's just, 
because you're trying to think how they could bridge that gap. And yeah, it is. Okay, so that's how well, they can do well, it. Well, like I said, my brain just turned on. I had the I had the epiphany and I realized <laughs> yeah. that well, it's easy to lose track because the the Star Wars movies weren't done in the proper order. Yeah. You know, we got the prequels last, and that's not usually the way to do things. But now since we're going between uh Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, now we know Princess Leia got these plans somehow. Yeah. Who got them? How did she get them? How did they get away with them? Kind of thing. Like so, it still lends itself to your point of okay. So we sort of know what happens, or we think we do. This doesn't mean that this heist is successful either. Yeah. This could be like the first attempt to do it, and they don't get it done. So do we really know? We don't really know. We think we do. So I still. I mean, it's just it's cool either way. I think it's going to be a great, great movie to start things off. Oh, yeah. Now, you mentioned that, you know, we're not getting the Han Solo and Boba Fett film. Well, remember, Josh Trank is also directing a Star Wars spinoff film as well. We could so still get it, yeah. We could still get it. Now, the film has Zero Dark Thirty's director of photography, Greg Frazier, on cinematography, Neil Colbold on special effects. Uh, filming Rogue One will take place in the UK and pretty much all around the world, pretty much. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, here's the thing. Now, here's what we know about the cast and the crew. So, Felicity Jones is going to be playing a rebel soldier. Neil Scanlon was going to lead the creature team, as he did on the film Prometheus, which I wasn't really excited about, but okay, I guess. Uh, Neil Lamont and Doug Chang are going to be the production designers. Again, I'm excited about it. They also did release a teaser for it, which, you know, it looks like kind of maybe a take. There's like a four-city world. Maybe it could be Endor. We don't know. Teaser is the word, all right. Teaser, yeah. It's just, a, you know, and it's voiceover by... Obi-Wan from the first three films, not the prequels, but the first four, five, and six, and has his voice over, and you see a TIE fighter fly off, and then pretty much like a moon-esque image of the Death Star. So I, I'm very excited for it. I can't wait to see what they're doing. And speaking of another films in the kind of Marvel universe slash Disney universe is Spider-Man, and we're not talking about the live-action films either. Nope. As a matter of fact, Sony just announced yesterday or a couple days ago that Phil Lord and Christopher Miller for from 21 Jump Street and, of course, Lego Movie are going to be writing a treatment for a Spider-Man animated movie for the big screen that's going to be coming out in July 20th of 2018. So this, I got to say, Nick, was kind of a shock because we're, you know, we're hearing about Spider-Man going into the MCU, like you said, and we're getting our own standalone live-action Spider-Man film, I think, in 2017. So... Here's my question. Where does this animated movie kind of sit within all that? And are you excited about this? I'm very excited about it. I want to see how they do the animation. I can say, I, you know, if it maybe stop motion, it'd be 3D, probably 3D animated, probably more than likely. Um, no, this really hasn't, other than like the new Spider-Man stuff, up until like we got the Miles Morales show and like other than like Spider-Man and his friends or whatever. The 90s Spider-Man animated series is, like, by far my favorite animated series of all time. That's the great. X-Men. It, it is, is fantastic. I don't think, however, I think people are – here's the thing. People are saying, you know, are we going to get a Miles Morales or Spider-Man – you know, was it Spider-Man 20 2099, yeah. 2099 film. I don't think this is going to be surrounded by Peter Parker. I really don't. I think they're going to make it, in a sense, separate, even though – it's animated and one's live action. I think we're keep it separate. I think if we're going to get a Miles Morales film, this is going to be it. I'm going out on a limb here. Yeah. There was a very popular comic that came out not too long ago that uh -huh. some people didn't like and some people did. What if this is a superior Spider-Man movie? Yeah, that could happen. Like I said, I'm not a fan of superior Spider-Man. I'm not going to beat it with a drum. It's been done too many times. I would still see it if it was a superior Spider-Man because I think maybe seeing the film as far as reading one, you know, a couple books and hating it, 
Well, maybe change my attitude on it a little bit. Here's I what know. I want this to be, because I think we can both agree that DC's been very successful with their comic adaptations to animation. I would love to see Marvel start doing that with some of their more popular stories. I know that we've said in the past, don't give me a shot for shot, but at the same time, there's certain comics you kind of want to see them brought to life, like they're doing with uh, Civil War, in a sense, coming up for uh, Captain America 3. I want to see a Spider-Man story brought to life in animation, and I don't care if it goes within the canon of what the live-action films are doing or not. I'm kind of hoping it doesn't. Well, remember, MTV also had an animated Spider-Man show, which ran, I think, for a few episodes. Uh, I think it didn't get a full, like, I think it got a full season, but it was, like, four or five episodes. Yeah, it didn't do very well. I thought it was okay, but again, I was younger at the time, so what the fuck did I know? But this is going to be released on July 20th of 2018. It's going to be produced by Lord Miller, Avia Red, uh, Matt Tomlick, and, of course, Amy Pascal. So, so much for her being fired, right? For the yeah, whole right. Thing. Yeah. That's kind of funny. Everybody's like... She's going to be fired. And even I was like, she's stepping down. Really? Because she's still attached to all the pretty much properties between Marvel and Spider-Man. She's still in the room. <laughs> yeah, she's still in the room. But I think here's, I'm excited for it. I mean, I'm all for animation. You know, we have friends who are artists. So, again, and who knows? Maybe this will spin off a comic series. Oh, wait, why should I say maybe? It probably will spin off a comic series. And who knows who's going to be doing it. So I just never- hope it's not anime. I, I hope not, too. I don't think they're going to go that route, Let's though. not do that. Think about it. It's Phil Lord and Chris Miller. I and, know. I know. You know, I don't think they'll go the anime route. I know. But there was one thing that we were very excited about. We kind of knew it was coming, but we didn't know it was going to be coming from these guys. The Hollywood Reporter announced that Valiant Entertainment is getting their comics into the movies. There's a five-picture deal, and two of the characters that they mentioned specifically, Nick, were Harbinger and Bloodshot. Yeah, and this was really awesome. That was really awesome because... This is an indie company, and they got their own indie cinematic universe. And is it going to rival DC and Marvel? No. But the fact that we got an independent film universe. I know people are saying, what about Transformers? What about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Those aren't comic universes. They existed way before IDW had them in print. So, no, I don't think you can count that at all. Yeah. So here's the thing. They have the Sony picture deal, and of course, the first couple of uh, characters that James mentioned, it's going to be the first is going to be Bloodshot, which will arrive in 2017. It's going to be directed by John Wick directors David Latek and Chad Chalewski, and Jeff Wadlow, who did Kick Ass 2, and Eric Hesser, who just did, did the thing, is going to provide the screenplay. Also, Matthew Vaughn, who's from, of course, X Men First Class, and Jason Kotari are attached to Bloodshot as executive producers, and Hesser is also expected to pen the screenplay for Harbinger. Which, of course, is the second movie, and also it's also going to lead into Harbinger War. So pretty much it's going to be like how Marvel has the Infinity War, Bloodshot, and Harbinger, of course, lead into Harbinger Wars. Yeah, and of course they've also said that they're probably going to do Archer and Armstrong and Shadow Man, which is very Constantine-esque. I'm looking to see uh, what they do with that, but... I'm excited because there's they they have had superhero properties that not a lot of people know about and I'm I'm guilty of that as well but I mean when you get when you get when you see stuff like Fast and the Furious franchise 21 Jump Street X-Men First Class Kick-Ass stuff like that attached to these movies yeah it's time to take them seriously like you said they're not going to rival Marvel and they're not going to rival DC but all it takes is to catch lightning in a bottle one time and all of a sudden, you might not be right there, 
But all of a sudden, you start to creep up a little bit, and your properties aren't as well known as Marvel's and DC's, and that might actually become an advantage to you if there's ever a burnout and people are looking for something new. Maybe they turn their heads in this direction, and they got there first. And here's and the that thing. That is key. And here's the thing. I want to talk about Bloodshot for a little bit because Bloodshot has a good following. I was actually on Saturday. I was at a uh, an event for Taiwan Comic Con, and one of our listeners, Matt, was there. Of course, with his wife Blair. And who's also a listener, and we were, and they're excited about it. He was pumped about this whole bloodshot thing. They're going to be upset that there's not going to be an EXO Man of War movie right away, though, because yeah. I know that they're huge fans of that series. Yeah, but we'll get it soon. But I'm excited about it, man. I'm really, really excited about it. And it also makes me want to go back and like pick up Bloodshot and read it. Like I, I haven't really read a lot of Valiant. But I want to now. Yeah, I'm going to go see Bob at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Virginia Beach, actually, and, and pick up a couple just to kind of catch myself up. I mean, I know that I've got a lot of catching up to do, but I just want to get myself familiar because, again, I kind of feel bad that I sort of let this, you know, let this publisher kind of slip through the cracks a little bit. And now seeing what these properties really represent, reading up a little bit on them, it's going to be very interesting, I think. Exactly. And, you know, speaking of new characters or really origins in a sense... You have these characters in comics that have no origins, and when certain TV shows or whomever want to expand upon it and give them an origin, people get pissed because, oh, you're ruining canon. Well, get ready, folks, because the second season of Gotham is getting ready to start shooting over the summer, and executive producer Bruno Heller has said one of the biggest stories in the city is way they're going to kick off season two. They're going to do the Joker origin. And have we been waiting for this forever or what? And I think the second that Cameron Moynihan cracked that smile, we all kind of breathed that sigh of relief like, oh my God, they got it right. And are we going to get an origin? And now we know that we finally are. So here's the thing. Are we going to get like nods to the killing joke? Are they just going to create an origin? Because there's really no canon here. They can kind of do... Whatever they want to do. This isn't Jack Napier falling in the bat of acid here. Yeah. This is totally different. This this is their chance to do something epic and amazing. So I'm really excited to see exactly where they're going to go with this, especially after they kind of got things started in an episode this season. Yeah, exactly. Now, here's the thing. Now, Cameron Hand hasn't been pretty much confirmed as he's the Joker. But the thing is, if you go back to what we talked about like a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, about how he had all these different drawings and everything else mm-hmm. and of the Joker and what he kind of envisioned him to be, I think he's the Joker. And I think what they're going to do is this. Now, remember, he gets pretty much arrested. I think he's going to be put in Arkham or whoever. Yeah, they never really said where he went. Yeah. So here's my thing. We might get flashbacks of him becoming that kind of guy where he, you know, kills his mother in a sense, and mm-hmm. and we might get kind of that, and maybe we'll see his origin, kind of him dive into that Joker thing. Whereas the farther and further he's into Arkham or wherever he's in prison or wherever, he dives deeper and deeper into that character, and thus the Joker is created in a sense. I mean, it could be one of those things where the Joker was created because of where he was put. Maybe they go that route. Yeah. But but. Who is the one that, who's the catalyst? Yeah. There's always a catalyst. And of course, you know, the whole thing with his mother and, and her being kind of a whore, that, that might have started things up a little bit. And you mentioned when we talk about it originally, the whole uh, connection to the circus and stuff like that. So that makes a lot of sense. Yep. But depending on where they sent him, there's always a catalyst. So who's it going to be and how is it going to breed itself? And I just, I can't wait. And I really hope 
that uh, Cameron Moynihan does end up being the choice. Because if they don't, I think a lot of people are going to be pissed off and maybe not even care at that point. Exactly. And that's the thing, too, is it's smart. And what's smart is, like I said, people are going to be pissed about it. But like I said, DC, as Prince said, this isn't connected. What we do on TV is not connected to our movies. So right. why would you fucking care? Right, exactly. If you don't like this version of the Joker, here's one over here that you might enjoy. Yeah. Kind of thing. So that's why I've said a million times, I think keeping the universes separate was very smart on DC's part. Exactly. So, I mean, what's one thing you want them to see and you want to see them do with the Joker that maybe they haven't really done before? I want to see them get into how he gets his skills. And by that, I mean... We've seen the Joker fight many times in many iterations, but there's no real explanation for, you know, it's not like he went off and trained with anybody like Bruce Wayne did. So where does he acquire his skill? Much like Matt Murdock and Stick and Daredevil, how does the Joker hone his fighting, especially his knife skills? Let's face it, his knife skills are pretty damn good. You can kill your mother all you want, and that's probably, you know, mom probably didn't fight back a whole lot with her son. So that's one thing, but a whole different story is, how does he get his skill to be able to take on the Batman later on in life? And I'm hoping that we kind of get an idea of how that happened. Well, that's going to do it for Nerd News. But speaking of skill, James, we have a very skilled fighter and actor coming our way next. A former main topic It's our interview with Peter Shinkoda, a.k.a. Nobu from Netflix's Daredevil. Stay tuned. More Down Nerdy coming up next. Well, one of the biggest TV series going right now has got to be Marvel's Daredevil. And we are so happy to have one of the stars of that show, it's Nobu himself, Peter Shinkoda. Mr. Shinkoda, how are you doing this, this afternoon? I am very good. I'm very good. Uh, thanks for asking. So, so Peter, what's it been like since the show dropped last week? What has your life been like in this past week and a half, two weeks since the show's been out? To be honest, it's been pretty chaotic. I mean, uh, on, the, on the good side, incredible. Incredible how it's been received, this show. Uh, I'm ecstatic by, by uh, you know, the fact that everybody's reaching out, everybody's talking about it. Word of mouth is incredible. Uh, reviews across the board are, 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 are extremely positive. The downfall on a personal level, you know, according to me, is that I have a lot of friends. A lot. Of <laughs> um, and, you know, I appreciate all the, uh, all the, um, the congratulations that I'm getting. But, I, you know, my lines are tied up. As far as uh, you know, the WhatsApp lines and the, and the Skypes and uh -huh. the uh, Facebook, mm -hmm. the Twitter, the Twitter, Instagram. My phone doesn't last more than you know maybe fifteen minutes for the last week and a half because the batteries just run out. Because <laughs> not only are people saying congratulations, they could say it one time, you know, on, yeah. on, on my on my wall, and that's great. But you know, I'm I'm kind of generous in, 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 as far as my correspondence, so I'll say thank you, and then it inspires a whole thread of uh, conversation. Not to mention all the private messages that I'm getting from my private friends. But again, if I answer it, it you know, it uh, it results in in a fifteen to uh, two to two hour long uh, thread. <laughs> um, and, and on top of that, think about the new format, the platform of. Daredevil. So not only does everybody watch not watch it at the same time, so it all happens concentrated on a Friday night at nine. Mm -hmm. It's all day, twenty four seven. People mm -hmm. watch it. They go, "I just finished episode three. I'm on to four. <laughs> oh, I can't wait till five, man! I just finished five. So people are doing this staggered all week, every episode at whatever times of day since this thing dropped. That has become difficult. But um, again, 
it comes with the uh, the territory. Well, it's your own fault for having such an awesome character like Nobu. So I've been wondering, you know, how much did you actually know about Daredevil going into the series itself? Everything. Everything. That's the that's the right answer. Yes. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to tell you, you know, I was not many people that was I was up for was being considered for a big role on Arrow on the exact same day. They call wow. wow, that is a mic drop information from Peter Shinkoda right there. Yeah, right there. and um, as much as I'm a fan of uh, those shows and, you know, it's a particular, it's a particular DC titles, I knew in my heart of hearts that there was, there was no choice because um, uh, I've always been a, a Marvel guy. Yes, <laughs> and, and, that's, uh, and that's okay, and that's okay. And that's okay, you know, I, you know, I like DC, a lot of their, 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 their properties, but Marvel is the one that I have the affinity for, and certainly, you know, uh, my top ten, super or five of these superheroes are all Marvel. On top of that, uh, you know, I have loyalties to Stan Lee, I've known him, I had an opportunity to meet him uh, maybe five, six years ago, so, and I have a lot of friends that work over at Power Entertainment, so I'm in his inner circle there, and, you know, wow. Who wants to be disloyal to Stan Lee? To oh, me, exactly. Like, I totally agree. He is a god. He is from Asgard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, he's god to me, pretty much. When you met Stan Lee for the first time, what was the first thing that went through your mind? You know, I actually, I brought along my, my cousin, uh, Eric, and um, I, I kind of blanked. I don't really remember, like, the first 20 minutes. But he said, very <laughs> <laughs> like, like I was, you know, I was waiting, like a freight train would have hit me, because he, he said he never, I don't get starstruck too much, and, you know, my boss at that time was Steven Spielberg. But I walk into his office, and he sets up some food in his office, and I end up spending, like, 45 minutes, an hour with him, and wow. he's pulling frames of photos, you know, he's p- pulling frames off the walls, showing, oh, Peter, remember this? I met, I met your boss, Steve, and you know, he's pulling stuff off the wall, and he's just the most gracious host. When I walked in, the first thing he said to me, because I was on Falling Skies, he's like, ah, where's your motorcycle and your machine guns? You know, like this kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, why, you know who I am, Mr. Stanley? You know, so it was, it was epic. It was like standing in front of a god, you know. I, I, I shouldn't have looked him in the eyes. I should have kneeled on the ground. That's what I should have done. Mm. <laughs> well, your fight scene with uh, Charlie Cox, is, of course, as Daredevil in the series, was Easily, I'm not just saying this because you're here, easily my favorite scene, fight scene in the entire series. How challenging was that scene to shoot? And how much fun were those stunts to do? Well, you, you, you see, you know, this guy, this, this is an acrobat. There's a guy, a monkey, jumping around and spinning in the air. I'm going to have to admit that I, it wasn't all me. <laughs> <laughs> but you were, it was partly you, and that's impressive. You know, I'm a, I'm a pretty good athlete. I'm a decent martial artist, but, um, you know, there was, it was a very extensive fight scene. Uh, very involved in in, in, um, in the sense of coverage, um, you know. You know, fight scenes are are pretty well done nowadays. Uh, the, the 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 audience is demanding, so um, they spent a lot of time on it. It was a, fi- a scheduled five day shoot, and uh, Monday to Friday um, by you know four in the morning, Friday night morning or Friday Saturday morning, we didn't have it. And they asked me to come back again on a Saturday, and we're talking uh, twelve to sixteen hour days, six in a row, that uh, and, and it involved myself. As well as three more stunt um, stunt nobus. Wow! Wow! Yeah, because like you know, look, look at all the combat. Look at all the strikes, the moves, the the uh, the, the acrobatics, and then of oh, course, yeah. you know the the, um, the the fire at the end. So yeah. it took a big team and uh, many people's uh, uh, stunt guys and stunt coordinators. Stunt team was there and. Um, yeah, it took a lot of people to, to make that happen, put it together. Um, by no means is it uh, is it only me and I made my contribution, but I mean it took a team of people. And as we were shooting it, we also were quite aware that it was going to be an epic fight scene, you know, for for the ages. And it turned out very well. To tell you the truth, um, 
you know, I've been in a lot of action sequences uh, involving all kinds of things, firearms or martial arts. And I'm telling you, this was, was very complicated uh, and very intelligently approached. It was meticulously approached, um, and and there weren't there wasn't any visual effects, you know, aside from a, a few CGI knives and stuff. Um, everything was practical effects. There was real weapons on set. Sometimes we replaced them with a rubber uh, weapon, and, but it, it took a long time. It was extensive, you know. Maybe the, the, the an episode shoot would be eight days, you know. You, you calculate, wow, wow. you factor in the, the, this fight scene. It, it would have, you know probably doubled the, the shoot time. But there was you know different. Um, uh, crew units shooting uh, simultaneously, uh, and uh, you know we got it done. But uh, it, it was uh, it was a long shoot that episode, and um, but it was certainly fun because I mean between the fire and uh, you know and then doing the fight scenes, and also you know we're, I'm standing in the parking lot of the studio and uh, swinging around the chain and stuff. And, yeah, uh, yeah. It, everybody stepped back, you know, and yeah. uh, firemen were there. <laughs> <laughs> this you know it's kind of goofy but it was also epic to me because you know every you know every moment that i wasn't doing that i'm sitting beside vincent or toby uh, leonard moore or or, or um tommy walker with a, you know that they, they were all involved in the sequence oh, yeah. and so it, it was a dream not only am i swinging you know i'm dressed as a ninja doing all this stuff and uh, you know like stepping in to do this fights i'm watching people get burned alive i'm talking uh, you know to to vincent d'onofrio and then the gifted toby leonard Moore, who's just a breakout star in this so i'm sitting with them um you know it was the time of my life uh, i would have paid them for the experience yeah that was awesome because like you, you mentioned the weapon that's literally one of the most hardest weapons to do in martial arts because you're throwing it takes precise accuracy and everything else but i want to get to what you were wearing in that fight scene uh, of course, that's the uniform that's worn by the assassin group, The Hand. So I'm going to ask you flat out. Yeah. Though it's an original character for the show, is Nobu really Kaganobu Yoshioko, who is the creator of The Hand? I've seen uh, you know articles de de devoted to this analysis of my character. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, I could have wrote those articles myself going into the series before we shot my, my first frame of film. Because I did my research. I'm familiar with him. I'm familiar with The Hand. Mm -hmm. All of that. Um, I still, honestly... Don't know. They never, um, you know, blatantly said that I am from the hand. They just said I, I was an organization. I have representatives, mm -hmm. you know, that I answer to. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know, people are clever out there. The red ninja suit. <laughs> <laughs> The ongoing, um, you know, it was suggested that, that, that there's an ongoing um, um, rift between myself and uh, Scott Glenn's stick. We all know about that. So mm -hmm. I mean, and then if you watch this 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 season in its entirety, we know that the kingpin's kind of like pushed aside so who are you gonna bring in you mm -hmm. gotta bring in like stealth man you gotta bring or you know maybe the, the supposed hand might break him out i'm not sure but there's only a few ways you can go by deliberation purely pure deliberation you know that it can only be you know certain things i'm from japan osaka is the capital of yakuza you know and, and the episode started off there uh, I, I did in fact say um you know you brought the old fool Mm -hmm. So I have a history with him. Mm -hmm. The only history, you know, Scott Glenn has with any 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 ninja organization is the one that he lives to to dismantle and destroys the hand. But nobody from Marvelous told me that it was never written in into the script. It's all suggested. So what you know is what I know, and perhaps you know more. I know what I could do with my research and my 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 my, um, my previous knowledge of, of the project uh, of the characters. You know, I went into shooting with all that, and uh, you know, I did uh, you know even more extensive research. Mm -hmm. What you know, what you're suggesting, what what the show's implying, 
all that stuff is exactly what is, is the limitations of what I know is what you know. Okay, I just had, I just had to ask. Like I said, you just see it. You just you know, we got you on the show. I just wanted to ask you that. Hashtag so. Nobu lives. I'm Hashtag Nobu right lives. Now. I'm calling it right now. <laughs> now, you mentioned you spent a lot of time with uh, Vincent D'Onofrio on the set. So I want to know, did he make you one of those famous Wilson Fisk omelets or was he the only one that could actually eat them? He, he didn't. You know, when I think about Wilson, Vincent D'Onofrio and omelets, I just get kind of, I lose my appetite. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> go on, find, check out a little clip with Val Kilmer and him eating like an omelet or some eggs in, 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 in the Salton Sea. Mm. Then you'll lose your appetite because in that he plays uh, Pooh Bear and he has no nose from uh, excessive cocaine use. And he goes about telling Val Kilmer how he uh, bludgeoned the guy to death, took his brain matter, throws it in a Ziploc, and every now and then he throws it into the scrambled eggs. So um, oh, yeah. I'm off omelets forever now. <laughs> that, that, that scene stuck with me for the last 10 years. And, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have thought about it, but you just said Vincent. Oh, Denny's egg. will never be the same again. Exactly. So, you know, I, I don't think I'll ever eat any, like, scrambled eggs with <laughs> or anything. That's all I think about is Vincent D'Onofrio eating, you know, the victim's brains oh, with his eggs. Oh, man. Yeah. Now here's here's the cool thing, you know, going back into your your past. Uh, you studied post production of TV and film at UCLA. Now, knowing the behind the scenes process, in what ways did that sort of benefit you as somebody who's also in front of the camera and also go USC Trojans? <laughs> go Bruins. Um, go Trojans. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me come over there, you two. <laughs> oh God, I'll see you at the game. You know? All right. Well, I'll tell you, I I, I happened into. I didn't have like um. Uh, uh, childhood dreams of becoming an editor or anything. I, I ended up uh, to be close to uh, feature production when I was uh, struggling to be an actor in the mid nineties. I, I ended up getting a temp job at Warner Brothers, mm -hmm. and um, I eventually, you know, I looked at the the, the uh, our department overhead and the rules and stuff, and there was a lot of money that they could allot to uh, to uh, studying or to pursuing, um, you know, post production further if it applied to, you know, our our you know our department. I saw that I got my supervisor to to sign off on documents, and uh, off I was. You know, I went for like a year and a half to UCLA Extension. I was there like four or five nights a week studying post production. At the same time, I'd you know go into the, the lot. I'd start at eight o'clock as you know uh, as as a PA, and then I became an apprentice editor, and eventually I became an assistant editor. Um, but uh, you know, I, I started you know eight, but I'd go in at five six o'clock, and uh, a lot of the time I would um, I would beg for these. Uh, these editors to allow me in the room so I could learn all the ropes before my actual shift as a PA. At the same time at night, I was going to take post-production courses so I would learn, you know, the ropes. Yeah. Um, because I want to be close to it. And, you know, ultimately I want to be cast in something. I want to be close to the movie department of Warner Brothers. Um, so, you know, I finished that program. I became, I eventually became an assistant editor. But to answer your question, finally, uh, after having left there and having all that knowledge and having the experience of working in the industry firsthand, like a fly on the wall in you know one of the arguably the best studio in the world or the biggest best studio facility in Burbank, mm -hmm. I um, it's, it's two ways it affected me. It affected me in 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 my acting sense that I knew you what was demanded of you uh, when you're on set, maybe a two second clip or an insert shot. It might be a four page a four page scene. Uh, you know, with the multiple different angles. But I used to sit through there because Warner Brothers would have them, you know, anywhere between four to, to 13 shows shooting globally around the world. Mm -hmm. I'm talking features. They call them shows on at studios. Right. And, right. Um, you know, I, I had privy for three years to watching dailies from 
every one of those shows should I want it, you know, if I wanted. I always have to prepare up dailies and, you know, uh, sync them up and, uh, and prepare them every day for the executives. And my, one of my best friends, Jim Greco, who works there, and uh, he, he was responsible for screening the dailies. still is for the last 20 years, screening dailies for all the executives. You know, all the creepy guys in the dark smoking cigars, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of sinister, um, morbid stuff to each other. Well, those guys, he would play it for them. I'd sit up in the projection booth with these old projection guys. God bless them, because a lot of them are getting laid off because of digital projection, you know, booths and stuff. But these guys were, you know, there was an art in itself, knowing how to string up on uh, uh, these projection booths. Anyway, so I was up there, and I got privy to the, these, these, these dailies. In fact, I remember, it will stay in my mind forever, uh, we shot, I think it was 1997, we shot our first frame of The Matrix, and I'd read the scripts maybe six months before. And one of the first shots was just a... In the rain, big crane shot, uh, you know, and the camera's panning down a sign in the rain, the first shot, and then it lands on, you know, Agent Smith's shoes. And then, you know, then you see uh, Trinity in the, in the phone booth. But things like that, you know, I would get the opportunity to see these things. So after years of watching, I knew uh, what, what they were expecting, how, how, how much you would know, how much material you would have to del- deliver. You know, I, I know the outside parameters of what the responsibilities were for an actor per day. Um, they work at a very slow pace compared to, let's say, uh, television shows and certainly soap operas that shoot 30 pages a day. So um, I learned that part of it. So that really helped, I guess, in my acting. Um, in many ways, it also destroyed my um, my appreciation, or not my appreciation, my, my enjoyability of films. Um, it gave me you know, a sneak peek behind the curtains, and you can never take that away. Mm-hmm. You can't, can't unlearn that. So now I technically uh, look at everything, every aspect of uh, filmmaking, because I'm familiar with every aspect from you know, writing right down to – like I used to go to, to, to the screenings, even test market screenings. Like I'd work on something like Father's Day, and uh, you know, it, uh, Warner Brothers would ask me to work overtime. I'd go with the projectionist out to 1,000 Oaks or some of these you know, surrounding Los Angeles suburbs – We'd go to these big multiplexes and we'd we'd screen these movies and I'd be sitting in these theaters with the leads like, for example, Father's Day. I'm sitting in the theater with Robin Williams and uh, wow. you know, Billy wow. Crystal at 1 a.m. and uh, you know 20 executives and they're going through the, uh, the, the those cards, those questionnaire cards. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd see that. I would see how uh, you know the creative process would be compromised just because you know. You know, half the half the audience didn't like this or didn't like that, and the studios will will will, will cater to um to those those marketing those market screenings. Sometimes that that's good, mm-hmm. but it's also bad. You want to stick by your you know uh, by 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 your your, your creative uh, instincts. Definitely. Um, yeah, so I would see every aspect of movie making, and there's no way. Maybe when I was twelve, thirteen, fifteen, I'd sit and watch the same movie. Three times in a row. I saw Rambo 2 three times in a row. I saw Karate Kid Part 2 three times in a row. I saw E.T. three times in a row. I don't know why, but I saw Desperately Seeking Susan three times in a row. I don't <laughs> That's the kind of kid I was. And everything would go to the movies. And before the movies would come out, I would buy the making of books. Making of Empire Strikes Back with, you know, like 40 pictures in the middle. I'd yeah. buy the making Sort of the Jedi. I'd buy the Star Wars storybook. I'd be making of, uh, you know, Temple of Doom. I was absolutely obsessed. From a fan side, I would consume everything that you can as 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 a fan. Once I got to Hollywood, I took it to the you know, took it to the extent. I, I learned everything and I immersed myself in this world. So, watching films nowadays, I look at it way more of an analytical way as opposed to as as um, 
you know, um, an audience member that just is there for enjoyment. And I can't, you know, I can't kick it. And, and that's what I regret. I, I don't like that part because um, I'm, I'm just too um, scrutinizing of movies now. And that's it's totally a, understandable from that perspective. Yeah, I, you know, it, it had to happen. You know, if I'm going to work in the business, then, you know, a lot of the, you're going to see the strings being pulled in the back. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and that's it. So um, either way, I, I'm blessed and I feel um, – I have a, a good life and, you know, I'm involved in a great project currently. So, you know, in no way is that a complaint. And you've been working in the business for a long time. One of the things that kind of stood out since Mortal Kombat X was just released recently, uh, the 10th edition of that video game, you actually played Sector in the Mortal Kombat TV series back in 2011. So were you a fan of the game and did you enjoy working on that project? Massive, massive fan of the game, of course, you know. Um, when it came out like 20 some odd years ago, I loved it. But at that point, I was, you know, reaching adulthood. At one point, I had to put down the Xbox or the Nintendo and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and literally go off abroad to school and study. So, you know, after a couple of years of playing it, I had to stop. But then I was there, you know, I think it was 95. I was there at 9 o'clock, opening day, Man's Chinese Theater, Hollywood Boulevard. I was there with 12 of my friends and my brother who was living with me. He came from Canada to stay with me this summer. You know, we went and bought tickets. We lined up. We went in there, and you couldn't believe it. You know, and then then to have to, to like fourteen, fifteen years later to to be playing Sector, who had never been really investigated in those first two films, was a huge thrill, a huge thrill. Because, like I said, I was there when it came out. You know, the new line one when it came out in uh, you know ninety five at the Chinese theater premiered there. It was a mob. I never seen anything like it. People were cheering. People were like drunk in there. <laughs> that's the party it's like you know it was like right around the first year there was no Coachella it was Coachella inside that theater it was incredible and to think that I, I'd end up um, you know being on the show 14-15 years later that was that was huge I thought like I had right there I was like that that was the, the pinnacle of my you know of, of my career I was like yeah I'm sexy yeah, little like did going, you know <laughs> yeah it's kind of like going full circle it's like you go from like playing the games and stuff like that then you, you're like okay I'm at the premiere for the movie and then like I'm actually part of the actual series I'm playing the actual character, so that's got to be like really, really awesome. It was great because you know I was cast. Uh, I knew the casting director, and she called me. She says, "You might as well suit up and just go straight to wardrobe. You're getting one of these parts, right?" <laughs> that's that's isn't that <laughs> a great feeling too? It's just like called me. And then I had a meeting with Kevin Tancherone, the director of the, the you know the, the guy that was uh, helming it the first two uh, the web seasons, and uh, he he's you know he's directing Shields and Arrows now. You know he's doing really well. Uh, can't, can't your own. Um, but uh, I had a meeting with him, and right away, I, you know, immediately after the next day, he offered uh, Sector to me. And I'm like, when do we start shooting? It's like in three days. And then it was like a Thursday, and he said, you got to start shooting on Monday. And they have to cast all these other parts, Sub-Zero and all that. He just goes, I know you're in. We start shooting, you know, my call time, 7 a.m. Monday. And with my good friend, Chain Warren Jones, we're sitting in the back of this truck. Boom, we started shooting. Like, he had the first line, I had the next line. The funny thing was... I had to wait for this thing, to, this whole show to gestate right to the end. Not only did the whole web series drop, you know, every uh, second week, you know, in April of 2011, until they got to episode eight. And then it's like, okay, where's my episode? I shot this thing first. <laughs> yeah. The first minute of shooting this series. But then they waited extra three, four months until like Comic-Con. And oh, then they- that's painful. <sighs> You know, that's the story of my life, too. It's like you know, just doing Falling Skies and you wait, a, you know, almost a year to get it picked up. Then you wait another eight months to start shooting, you know, a season. Then you shoot for six months. Then you wait another eight months till it premieres, you know? Yeah. If I, it's the same thing with this Daredevil. Like, you know, I landed the last July. If I had taken it, this Arrow thing, people would have seen me in Arrow like three weeks later at Comic-Con and all that stuff, you know? But then here I am. 
I can't tweet from Marvel locations because fans will triangulate where we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. And it was true. I laughed at it. I went, yeah, like they could triangulate. Five in the morning, I come out of my trailer. I got like six guys standing there with pictures, you know, in the meatpacking district. It's dark and it's dangerous in New York. And I'm like, what? The? They were right. So Marvel uh, insisted that we don't tweet. We don't talk about anything. So I had to just sit and hibernate until maybe almost a few weeks ago. Wow. So again, it's like, it's a long drawn out career, this thing, you know, I, I think I paid my dues and it's not like I jumped on a Greyhound from Berkeley. Like a lot of my, uh, my, my peers, mm-hmm. <laughs> All the, you know, a lot of the Asian community comes from here. I come French frozen over Canada, beaten down with, with, you know, hypothermia and I had to get on a, you know, I had to get on, I had to, I had to come over here with Canadian funny money and then live without a permit. You know, it was a long, long road for me. And uh, I've been obsessed since, since uh, I was conscious. So, uh, you know, I'm very pleased with things, the way things have worked out. You know, having the employer, uh, Stan Lee, and my previous employer, Steven Spielberg, these were my gods growing up. So um, things are working out just yeah. the way I planned. Yeah, and you mentioned that long road. And where it pretty much kind of started in a sense was when you were a kid, you had your parents, I read this, drive six hours for a casting call for the role of short round in Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. So... Kind of a two-part question. How did you convince your parents to take you on that six-hour drive to that casting call? And also, despite not getting the role, what did you take away from that experience overall? Well, yeah, yeah that actually happened. What had happened was, uh, you know, they were looking for somebody. There weren't any Asian little kid actors. They had to do an international call. I think, um, if I remember correctly, they had uh, open casting calls that were advertised in the, 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 the respective cities' papers. But there was open casting call, call for Asian kids between 8 and 12 um, they give an address and you turn up on the weekend. They did this over um, a few subsequent weeks. In the Toronto Star, uh, there was an ad that was put out. It wasn't in Montreal because Montreal's French, you know, like mm-hmm. 80%. So they're not going to go to a French place and look for Asians. So Toronto, <laughs> you know, uh, my, my, already at that point, you know, I'm like, you're nine. And, and already at that point, my, 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 uh, my aunt and uncle knew that I was already obsessing on acting. I already knew my, my uncle was an actor, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, he's a Chinese guy. My my my, my he's a Chinese Canadian, but he he was on uh, some shows like Amer- uh, uh, the Canadian Air Force. It's kind of like it was a variety show. He was on Wayne and Schuster. He also appeared in you know a handful of uh, uh, movies. So when I find found out that he was acting, and I actually saw him on a CBC Canadian Broadcasting Corporation show once, I, I became obsessed, and I told him. Yeah, how much I want to be an actor. And when I returned back to Montreal as a kid, one day he he called. I said maybe Peter would be interested in this because I've been taking in my my sons, my cousin Eric and Colin. So you know I went deep shit, and there was no way that <laughs> I was going to allow my parents not to do that. I would have hitchhiked. I would have rode my BMX all the way there. There's no there, you don't understand how crazy I was. Like there was nothing going to stop me. Still isn't anything going to stop me. Really. Well, especially because Steven Spielberg, I mean, is pretty much one of your biggest role models too. Like you, like yeah. you, you know, he's one. I mean, you work on one of the uh, shows, Falling Skies. So, I mean, it's, it's such a big thing to, especially for a guy like him. Yeah, you don't understand. I, I read like Temple of Doom before the movie came out. You know, like I also read for it. I didn't get for it. You know, I, I, they brought us in five at a time. They made us scream Indiana, Doctor Jones. You know, this kind of stuff. Steven wasn't there. I don't remember who it was. It was a long time ago. You know, um, but. I went into the room with my brother and my cousins. We all had to do a bunch of screens and stuff, and then we left. You know, I didn't get it, but that's how yeah, that's that's how long ago I want to be an actor. You know, before years before puberty. Like my parents always thought I was, already thought I was crazy. Like there was nothing else that I have to appease it for ten years. I said I'd be an engineer or a pediatrician, and I you know I went to 
university and stuff. It was all uh, smoke and mirrors. It was just to distract them so that, uh, you know, to appease them, to get, to get them off my back. But I did make them drive me to Toronto, you know, through gritted teeth. Like, what? what? And they're like, oh, okay, we might as well take a road trip. You know, it was in like a, it was, it was in like, a, you know, one of those Ford Grand Torino station wagons. It was full on, you know, National Lampoon's vacation like that. <laughs> nice. You stop, we pee, you know, holding, I'm peeing in bottles and stuff. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, come on, come on, come on. Let's get there. We're going to be late. We're going to be late, man. You know, it's like, it's Saturday at two, Pete. It's Friday night. We're going to make it. We're going to be late. So <laughs> I got there. I did it. I didn't get it, but, um, you know, that was my, my first official audition and that, that's how it all started. And the thing was... You know, I'd go home and I'd read things like, you know, Return of the Jedi uh, or Revenge of the Jedi, it was called back then. And, you know, I was obsessed with that stuff. And I'd read, uh, you know, Temple of Doom. I'd read the, the book, you know, the, um, the, the two, three months before the movie came out. I'd read Back to the Future before the movie. Like, I was obsessed with these movies. And um, I knew so much about the, uh, the you know, the, um, the behind the scenes making of two coming here. I, was, I'm like, I don't know people that are obsessed about things like I was. Um, but I was completely, utterly serious about it, even when I was 10 years old. I told my parents. I even tell secretly to my, my brothers and sisters. I go, you don't know. But when I turn 17, 18, I'm going to run away. I'm not going to go to university like mom and dad want. I'm going, you know. So it's always been with me. I stuck by my guns and things are working out. But it, it is true. Um, as a kid, I, I black my, blackmailed my parents into driving me. That's a great story. And you've been very active with your fans on social media and especially on Twitter. Now, you had a tweet not too long ago. It was almost right when Daredevil came out. And then you had some Oreos with you and you said Oreos were your devil. So I got to ask you, what do you think about all these crazy new Oreo flavors and do you have a favorite? There are crazy ones. I, I just, you know, I'm traditional. I'm old fashioned, you know. Thank you. Yes. I like to one. Maybe you want to you want to get crazy, go double stuff. I'll do that. <laughs> Let's get nuts and rip open the double stuff. <laughs> so with all these other crazy things, I'm very fond of these new green tea Kit Kats from Japan. But you know, for five bucks for like you know twelve packages of like two bars, that's a rip off. Oh wow, that's crazy. You love those green tea Kit Kats from Japan. Try them out. <laughs> I will have to definitely try those out. Now you mentioned one of your favorite heroes actually comes is spider-man so what drew you to spider-man and also like what is about peter parker that maybe you like the you like as well we have the same name of course (laughs) (laughs) that's a good start as a child you're going to identify as a male child you're going to identify with spider-man it's so easy to he's a high school student uh he's dealing with all the other people's high school angst you know he was in he was you know a science major these are all things that you know, the 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 very synonymous with me. Aside from that, I mean, come on, come on, Spider Man, Spider Man. Daredevil was awesome too. You know, when I got older and more sadistic, of course, I want to beat people with sticks. But with Spider Man, when you're a kid swinging on a rope through New York, come on, that's that's, that's, that's incredible. Um, I loved it. Uh, it was also the most um, uh, you know available and, 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 and in my face you know there's spider-man comics all over you go to that little mm-hmm. spinning little carousel of comics half of them are spider-man half are wolverine x-men you know so yeah i loved it uh, of course um they also all, all kinds of time they had the, the the live action spider-man show they had the, you know the, the the spider-man cartoon which are, which are awesome i still watch them you know and uh then they had spider-man as amazing friends uh he was the most proliferant uh you know uh, 
the hero of, of my generation for sure. Um, and and it's certainly the funnest. I mean, this guy has a fast mouth. And then he got Deadpool now. That, that's the adult uh, mm-hmm. R-rated version of a fast mouth. So you know, this is the kind of stuff I like. So that begs the question then: with the new Spider-Man coming back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, if you could p- play any character, good or evil, in the Spider-Man movie, who would it be? Well, I think it's set in stone um, that I'm in the you know the MCU, but I'm Nobu. I have no idea what happened to Nobu. I mean, it was a pretty epic fight. I like to think that he come back. I know they're going to explore the, uh, the the hand storyline. You got to if they're coming back. No I mean, doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, may will I come back? Who knows? You know, I pray to God that it will. If I don't, then you know it's good. They'll take it in that direction. It, wherever way they go, Marvel knows what they're doing. Oh yeah. Uh, I give my left testicle to be back in it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the right one you're standing firm with. That one's got to stay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and the other and, and the thing is, if I continued in, I'm sure that it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be going to the Avengers or anything. I'd love to see Daredevil in the Avengers, and and if if it ever got that big and that my character was blew up so large and they had to include him, of course I'd like to be the same character and. Um, I would just like to command a whole army and watch them swarm Spidey and, and Daredevil. Like in the comics. Mm-hmm. See, if you look, if you're familiar with the comics, there weren't that many personalities from the hand. There was lots of, you know, lots of storylines of them, but you always see hundreds of ninjas fighting there, like right. sw- swarming. And, uh, and, and I love that. If they had that, but I, I, do they have that many, um, you know, ninja martial artists, performers in New York or in LA? I'm not sure. Is there enough Japanese actors to portray them? I'm not sure, but... Uh, God, I'd love to see it. I'd just love to see it, you know? I'd love to be a part of it. I mean, this is the first time anything hand-esque, because I'm not saying it's the hand, hand-esque has been introduced, you know? We've mm-hmm. seen a lot of S.H.I.E.L.D. Where's the hand? So, Yeah, I mean, I would love to see them explore on the hand as well and <clears throat> and see I, how, how they go with it. I'd love to, with or without me, you know? Um, I don't know if they – it's weird because it's also hard – it's, it's something hard to develop, you know. The, uh, you have the things that are out there in the, in the, in the, the things like Kirigi from the previous Electra. You got, uh, and then you got William Lee that will again appeared again as another character in Wolverine when he goes to Tokyo. So um, I, I don't know how they'll approach it. These things have been already touched upon, you know, too much. Have they been adulterated, or can they tie it in, or are they going to just wipe the slate clean? So they have a lot of options, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of decisions to make. But uh, I have the utmost confidence in them, whatever they do, because Marvel, they're genius over there running that, that, that studio. Oh, exactly. I mean, they really have a really a great thing running now. Geniuses. Geniuses, man. This is not even the good comeback of Disney with the Michael Eisner, Mike Ovitz of 20 years ago. This is like Disney commands everything. Disney is. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Cannot do wrong. Come on. Look what they're doing with Star Wars and stuff. It's about time, man. You know? Yeah, oh, I exactly. agree. Exactly. Exactly. Like, if 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 Hollywood, if I was running studios, I would do exactly what Sony just did. Let's let's lease let's lease our 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 our, our heroes back. Even Fantastic Four, they should have done it. They should have did it. Oh yeah, they should have. Let's lease them back. We'll retain. We'll split some profits. Lease them back. Let's cr- give them creative control. Marvel, you know, Jeff Loeb and them, because they they know what's going on. A bunch of Harvard uh, lawyers do not know what creativity is. Amen to that. Amen. They know, they know how to like, empty your wallet and, um, you know, and then and, and make, uh, you know, legal threats. But when it comes to storytelling, it shouldn't be those guys. Look, Marvel is the perfect. You got the guys at the top, Casada, Globe. Come on, man. These guys have been doing this for years. 
it's in their heart, it's in their soul, it's it's it's, it's in them, you know. And 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 these other studios, they they have yet to learn this. Uh, Sony has given up a little bit of their power. Watch their, you know, watch their their, their revenue grow in, in, when when Spider comes out in the in you know the Avengers or wherever Infinity Wars, wherever he comes out. We don't know; it's all speculation. But I think that's the right idea. Yeah. Um, because look at Marvel. Let's, let's look at them. Either you guys keep trashing your, you know, your this these IPs and keep rebooting them every ten years and watch people laugh, or you join farces with Marvel. If you have the audacity to put the Marvel logo. And your studio's logo, and then and then put this movie out. Why don't you give a little bit more control to Marvel? Mm-hmm. You know, share a little bit of profits, which are going to be bigger ultimately, because it'll be handled better. It'll be better. Story. You know, I, I just don't know what they're thinking. But Marvel, I, I just I, I can't I can't uh, extend enough praise to them because they're just absolute genius and 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 and, and meticulous meticulous storytellers. Because I'll tell you, I knew Daredevil was going to be good going in. I'm familiar with the you know the scripts that I was given, um, and uh, I'm very eager to see it come out because I knew it would be a success. But I had no idea. I had no idea how surgical they were with it. Everything, every every you know, like ten minutes, I'm pleasantly surprised by another like uh, you know a little twist in a story that ties mm-hmm. in something you might have seen before, and 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 the, the, you know all the double crossing and stuff. Oh, it's just incredible, incredible. I I just love it. Like I, I just finished it myself maybe a couple days ago, but. Uh, I'll give it a second viewing. This yeah. time, I'm really going to tear into it, and specifically myself. You know, my performance. Oh yeah, but, yeah your, uh, your performance was was awesome, Peter. I mean, it was really, really great. And you know, somebody who's worked on regular television, of course, with Fallen Skies, and then Netflix with Daredevil. What kind of differences are there in terms of just the the feeling on set, and just you know, because you can do more stuff on Netflix, you have more creative freedom. You can kind of go darker and deeper with Daredevil, which was fantastic. <laughs> you know, what what's the difference between the two mediums and working on the two mediums? Um, they're both exciting. They're both thrilling. Both I was surrounded by, uh, you know, great crew, amazing cast, um, the, and and then of course, you know, every moment, uh, you know, I, I can't, I can't, I couldn't ditch the, uh, you know, the fact that I was working. I'm on a Stan Lee story here. I'm on a Marvel. <laughs> story. The other one, I'm fighting. Yeah. yeah. By, by produced by the alien master himself, Spielberg. So. I love that every moment, you know. I, I could have been, I could die in a, in a set accident there, and I'd be dying doing something I love. I'll, you all die with a smile on my face, you know. So I loved it. The difference was, I spent a lot of time on the Falling Sky set, literally logged a lot of hours, and then you don't see me too much when you're there. Like I'm spending like sometimes I'm standing there in a five page scene with ten people talking, I say nothing. Mm-hmm. That that um, affected me in a certain way. And I'm there a lot. I was there a lot on set. Daredevil was very, you know, there, there, there were certain times when I'd come in, certain episodes I'd be in for like one, two, three. Episode nine, I was there the whole shoot. But uh, the other ones I'd come in here, there, even though it was a minimal time, I knew that the material that I had to rock, my the expectations of what I had to contribute when I clocked in those days was very important. Um, and I like that. I like going to work knowing that I'm, I'm needed. Uh, so every moment there was, was involved, whether it was blocking or rehearsing, you know, or, or just getting the perfect uh, makeup done. Uh, it, it, I don't think there was that much important. I didn't feel too important on Falling Skies because what? They slap a bunch of dirt on me. They, they'd actually stop a scene going, okay, uh, we're on page. We're going to take it from here. And I haven't said anything. We've been shooting the scene since 15th time. We're shooting four pages. I'm standing in the back and they're going, okay, uh, 
Let's cut. I think uh, we need a little bit more dirt on Peter's face. I'm like, I don't give a <laughs> <laughs> It's like, what's stopping from me? Who cares about me at this point? I'm going to slam my face down into a pile of rat shit, wipe it on my face. Let's just keep going because I want to block myself <laughs> and rap. Because these guys, you know, you've got Will Patton and, 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 and you've got Noah and all the lovely girls and the kids. They're all talking. And I'm standing there holding 40 pounds of machine gun gear, saying nothing. And I'm, you know, when you're spending that many hours on set and you're doing really nothing, and if you do say something, it has nothing to do with the plot, driving the plot. You know, if, if they said Pete can't come in today because he's feeling a little ill, they just go, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll work through the scene without him. Mm-hmm. Okay, he walked out. You didn't show up at that meeting. Somebody can say, where's Die? I don't know. He's walking perimeter. They could have worked around it. If I didn't show up for, for Marble and didn't do my job and step in front of the camera and do my work, the whole show would have been messed. Oh, yeah, so absolutely. I knew, I knew, I knew, you know, in my heart of hearts that they actually valued my efforts. Well, we're certainly glad that you did show up, and we wanted we want to give your fans a chance to keep in touch with you on social media and, and let us know what's coming up with you. So, tell your fans what they can, how they can get in touch with you on social media, and what you might have coming up for them. Uh, well, you know, I, I can't really divulge, but I'm up for a. You know, several very exciting projects, and uh, you know, I'm going to hear word on them in the next uh, few days. Hopefully, you know, sooner the better. But uh, if you want to stay in, in, in uh, contact with me and share words with me, I'm very generous, like you said that way. I love my fans. I love it because I really I used, do. Yeah, I, I used to go to my comic cons in Montreal when there were just little shitty comic cons. When you know, it's like a custodial closet with like three dudes in there with comics. I go to them. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, now when I go to the Comic-Cons and stuff, I love it. it. It's just a little bit tough when you, you can't walk through, you know, you can't walk through the convention because you sign, you'll never start, you sign one autograph, you're signing forever. Yep. Taking pictures forever. But I love my fans and this is the perfect, uh, you know, interface is uh, social networking. It's been very crazy. I've been overwhelmed in the last week and a half, but I do love it because inherently I am a fan. I'm just a fan that crossed over to the other side. I'm just a fan that you know um, that the kind of uh, that uh, the kind of uh, you know went against his parents. Uh, that's all it is. I'm going. I want to be in this comic. Just make moves, get headshots, take some acting classes. You know, give up all your integrity in life and uh, make your parents ashamed. That's all you have to do, and then you get over, and then you can work in these these movies. Because that's all I am. I'm just a fan, and I got lucky, and I'm you know I'm just as, I'm thrilled, and and I'm just. Uh, is excited, you know, about being on the set as you guys are excited about meeting me, you know, and I'm just some, some punk. And so it's like, uh, I'm flattered. I will always, uh, reciprocate to any, uh, anybody reaching out to me. I'll always talk back. If, if it takes a little while, you know, hopefully it won't take more than a couple of days, but I hear everything and I appreciate every word of, 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 um, graciousness that's directed towards me. So if you want to reach out, you can, I'm at peter.shinkoda at Instagram, and of course, uh, at uh, my handle at uh, Twitter is at Peter Shinkoda. And uh, if you're ballsy enough, you can you can reach out and request me on my very secured Facebook personal page, which everybody does, and you know I accept people there. And of course, I have a fan page, Peter Shinkoda. that's amazing and of course Daredevil season 1 available on Netflix right now you can also see Peter Shinkoda in Falling Skies as well and again thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us Peter we appreciate it guys I'm beside myself thinking like that that you guys reached out to me I I can't believe that you know my name and you actually want to talk to me because this is all I've been doing is talking long out of my mouth all my life to people who didn't care 
you reaching out to me and giving me an audience like this, it's, uh, you know, it's priceless. I thank you guys. Anytime. Anytime, Peter. And like I said, we, last week we, we reviewed Daredevil. We just talked about how great your scenes were, and we were just like, we got to get him on the show. And, again, thank you for coming on the show, Peter. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Anytime you want to talk again, uh, give, me, give me a show. Will do. All right, man. Wow, I got to tell you, that, that was amazing stuff right there. The, the stuff that he gave us. In that interview, that was incredible. So th- thanks to him again, Peter Shinkota, so much. Wow. The the fact is, there's a lot of things that like caught me off guard. I love I love the Mortal Kombat story about him being at the premiere, which is oh, great. Yeah. But the fact that he pretty much chose between Daredevil and Arrow, and he kind of had a decision to make in a sense. He chose Daredevil. I you know he didn't really tell us who the person was on Arrow. He was gonna be. It got me thinking, like, wondering, like, who would you be, and why did you take Daredevil? And it was just one of those things of like, now let's think of what he did. Plus, look at what he did with Falling Skies and what he said about that as well. He made the right decision, I yeah, think. Yeah, he was very candid too, and and I think that I mean, based on what we've seen from Arrow, I'm not sure he would have got a bigger part on Arrow than he got on Daredevil, especially since he had one of the most epic fights in the show and one of the biggest cliffhangers. In the show where, I mean, if you get a part where you you almost kill Daredevil, the main character of the show, and you're the only one that was really able to do that, it's kind of a big deal. I think he made the right choice. Yeah, I mean, it was great. Like, you know, I like how, I like how you're asking the Spider-Man question, and he just immediately just says, well, I'm pretty much in the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, already. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, I, I makes you want to season two even more, because like I said, we talked about the hand and what they might do, and I like I said, we think we talked about in the show is we love having actors and actresses portray characters we love who are already deeply rooted in those comics oh, and yeah. when you ask like so what did you know about daredevil going in he just says everything and he it was, was adamant 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 and it was just great i mean you know he had the deadpool hat on it was really really awesome too you know i mean it was just it really is one of our best interviews we've done. And again, thanks to Peter for coming on and thanks to his agent for, you know, setting it up as well. And just, you know, it really just goes to show just how awesome, you know, this crew and cast really is because I want season two even more now. I really do. It's almost like I I am looking forward to Jessica Jones, but at the same time, I'm like, can we just do Daredevil season two? (laughs) It was so good. I'm sure Jessica Jones, AKA Jessica Jones will be good too, but I mean, it just gets you so psyched for Daredevil season two. And I, I just, I just wanted to be here now, but what is going to be here shortly is our live broadcast from Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards of Virginia Beach for a free comic book day. That's going to be May 2nd. So like a week from today. I know. Is have you really noticed? Like these next couple of weeks are literally going to be hell weeks for us. Yeah, pretty much. Because I mean, this week we're both you know between us and our work and the podcast stuff is busy enough just for this week alone. But we have our live show next Saturday. Then a couple weeks after that is Taiwan Comic Con. We got a two day show mm-hmm. that we're doing. Oh Jesus! I'm going to need like a lot of maybe you know coffee and naps will be taken naps will be taken about it maybe you know a nice massage from a nice woman you know that would be phenomenal as well there you go just watch out for those happy endings sir uh yeah well i mean you know if you are dc happy ending doesn't really exist in your mind 
<laughs> not the way they're setting their universe anyway. It's dark no. and everything is bad. It's just but, a, it's just a fountain of like a giant bowl of depression and feelings it's just going to be set as a statue in the middle of Metropolis right next to that Superman statue. But keep in mind also that that means that we will have our show our new show next week will be released on Saturday, not Friday. We are working on a little something for you for Friday though. That we'll have in, and we still have something Friday at one o'clock that we'll put up for you. But remember, the new show, Free Comic Book Day episode of Down and Nerdy for next week, is going to be coming out on Saturday at facebook.com slash down and nerdy. Yep, remember, you can hit us up on Gmail, down nerdy podcast at gmail.com. Email us your, friend, your fan questions. We want to do an episode that's pretty much. All entirety fan questions uh, for our main topic. So send us your fan questions. Again, as James said, hit us on Facebook, facebook.com, slash nerdy. I am on Twitter, at Merc with one arm. Also, don't forget to hit up Peter Shinkoda as well. Again, big thanks to him, James. I'm at James Ace with him. And, of course, again, thank you so much to Peter Shinkoda. And we hope to have a heck of a lot more interviews for you in the future. Exactly. And as always, I'm going to leave you with this. Comic book nerds and nerdettes, always try to save comic book reading. Always bag and board your comics.